Welcome back to a Clubfoot Mom podcast. I am your host and fellow Clubfoot Mom, Maureen Hoff. On today's episode, we are going to talk to VJ, Agia, and their son, Weedent, about their Clubfoot experience and their recent fundraising event with Miracle Feet. I first came across Weedant when someone at Orthopediatrics emailed me the YouTube video of Weedant's podcast with Dr. Kevin Lim about his clubfoot treatment. Weedant did such an amazing job with the podcast, and I knew I just had to learn more about him. I eventually connected with his dad, VJ, and learned more about their goals to raise clubfoot awareness and their fundraising event through Miracle Feet. So today we're going to talk about that fundraising event, about how the trek up Mount Kilimanjaro went for VJ and Weedant, and we're also going to talk about their personal clubfoot story from diagnosis at birth through the their treatment. So let's just jump on in. Hi, VJ and Vedant. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Maureen. Good to yeah. talk to you. Thank you so much for being here. I'm like really excited to speak with both of you today. So thanks so much for agreeing to be guests on the podcast. No problem. <laughs> so why don't we just start at the beginning and you tell us about your experience, your clubfoot treatment story. Yeah, uh, yeah, really Vedan doesn't remember much. So maybe I'll, I'll take a go at that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so this was back in 2011 when Vedan was born. Mm-hmm. We were living in Jakarta at that time. So in Indonesia. Okay. Right? I was working there and uh, yeah, and, and Agya, my wife was working there as well. Uh, so everything was normal uh, when we were going to the gynecologist. All the, all the uh, tests were all looking good. Right. And, uh, and then Vedant, uh, actually, we had gone in for another checkup for Agya. And the doctor said, actually, we should go in for the cesarean operation. Since mm. it's pretty much complete the term as well. Let's not mm-hmm. delay anymore. Mm-hmm. So we said, that's fine. So that was 23rd of January, 2011. Mm-hmm. Right. So thankfully, uh, Agya's mother was there. Agya's brother was also with us. And he's a doctor by profession. Mm-hmm. So it was good to sort of have him with us. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it the operation was in the uh, in the evening, about eight or nine p.m. Right, so we were all waiting outside the operation theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, then at ten o'clock, we were told the good news that Vedant was born, and uh, and they sort of brought uh, Vedant out to show it to me and uh, my brother-in-law and my mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. So of course, they showed us the face first, and we were all obviously very thrilled and very happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then the doctor sort of showed us about showed us the leg. Right, so his left his left uh, foot he has unilateral club foot, mm-hmm. so his left foot was turned inward by ninety degrees, right. So as as soon as I saw that, I mean there was a whole um, wave of emotion sort of going through uh, because mm-hmm. I least expected him to have any challenge after mm-hmm. having gone through all the tests, right, and uh, mm-hmm. can um, and then and, and I didn't even know about what this condition was, right. So the first thing that sort of hits you is will he ever be able to even walk again? Right. right, and then I will be like a normal. Will you have a normal life, right? Mm-hmm. And I've said this many times, but it's probably the only time I've ever fainted in my life. So wow. as soon as I saw him, I fainted. I so I think they had to take care of me more than him, <laughs> more than Vedan. <laughs> oh man! So, I don't know how long I had passed out for. Uh, but yeah. Sort of half an hour or whatever it was. Uh, but then I got to come around, uh, and thankfully, like I said, my brother-in-law was there. 
So mm-hmm. he sort of knew about this condition. He knew what mm-hmm. Lovegood was. Okay. He knew there was a method of treatment called Ponsetti. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, possible to do. So that really gave me a lot of assurance. Right. Okay. Uh, so obviously we started doing a lot of web research from there that night when we went back home. Right. Uh, we hadn't told Agya. She didn't know about this. Next yeah. day when we came in and she was there in hospital for about three days. So in the next day morning is when she sort of saw Vedant and we told her. she was quite brave uh, so <laughs> she didn't faint she didn't faint <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so 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 we then obviously did the research and we spoke to the pediatrician so the pediatrician there was a pediatric surgeon who sort of came around the next day mm-hmm. to eat and sort of discuss with us what should we do right okay uh, now we had done enough research before that to say that there was no ponsetti qualified doctor in indonesia mm-hmm. the only one in all of southeast asia right uh, or asean as we call it was in singapore hmm while singapore is only 2 hours away by flight we really couldn't travel with the newborn right till for mm-hmm. you know, 2 months mm mm-hmm. so so it was about taking a chance over there we spoke to the pediatric surgeon he said of course i'm not trained in in ponsetti right mm-hmm. i'm not i don't have a certification but i know what it is mm-hmm. we can try mm right? thankfully i'm not alone again other than that i had no clue on on how to even let him take that chance right Mm-hmm. but because the father in law was there he said yeah he'll be there when we are doing the casting and some of the turning mm-hmm. and he sort of oversee for the next two weeks he was going to stay with us for two weeks so so because he was there i said okay that's good uh, he knows mm-hmm. uh, and that was sort of a very assurance right so so yeah we started on day 2 pretty much we did the the first sort of turn 10 15 degrees did the casting right and uh, and then we went home uh, and then that's sort of how the journey started Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, so thankfully, uh, thanks to that doctor, we did this for about two months. We did about five or six castings, if I remember, mm-hmm. uh, in Indonesia. Okay. Right? And the foot looked pretty good. I mean, uh, if I look at the photograph at the end of two months, right, it was pretty much looking normal, mm-hmm. right? at least to someone who's not a doctor, right? Yeah. Um, and we said, okay, now it's, it's it's sort of time to go to the more qualified doctor, right, in Singapore. Mm-hmm. So we had taken the appointment. So we flew down to Singapore, mm-hmm. and uh, we showed it to the doctor, Doctor Kevin. So that's mm-hmm. the one that Vedant had interviewed, mm-hmm. uh, and he was quite happy about it. Uh, when he saw the foot, he was like, "Wow, not bad. Uh, it's, it's pretty much there." So mm-hmm. that was a great uh, relief for us. Yeah. And he said, "We just need to do about two or three more castings, right? And then that should make it perfect from there. Mm-hmm. And then we sort of get on to the the brace shoes from there, right? So so that was, I think, a, a big uh, relief for us." Yeah. Uh, sort of traveled two three times then from uh, from Jakarta to Singapore. Mhm. Right? And those castings and the treatments. And then thankfully I think uh, so I was in IBM uh, in any case. So mm-hmm. when we done those 9 months old we sort of moved to Singapore then. I took mm-hmm. up a more regional role. So mm-hmm. with that we anyway moved to Singapore. Mm-hmm. And from then on anyway Dr. Kevin was there so mm-hmm. so he sort of treated him with the shoes and and then uh, yeah the story sort of went from there and by the end of four years i think yeah vedan was all fine we took him off the shoes as well mm-hmm. yeah, and actually just to add to that we did not do the tenotomy so um oh, okay so that that i think is is probably something which is different because mm-hmm. um so when when you wear the michel braces you can see through the holes right whether it's it's you know coming down properly right so the doctor i mean he, uh, the, i mean there was a suggestion for tenotomy but we didn't want surgery on vedan mm-hmm. so we were too apprehensive about any surgery on on the little boy 
mm-hmm. who is like barely one year old. So mm-hmm. we said, okay. I mean, then we were traveling to India. We we got um, we spoke to another doctor as well, but his leg was pretty flexible. So mm-hmm. he said, okay, as long as you know you engage him in sports and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it can be okay without surgery. Mm-hmm. So we actually took a call that time and said, okay, we don't want anatomy, no surgery. So mm-hmm. luckily, I mean, it it is touch wood. He did not need one at all. So I think right. this would different from the rest of the yeah you know treatment yeah. cases where most of them I think undergo tenotomy. That's right. Yeah, I think majority of them do need. Every doctor is different. Some say eighty percent. Some say ninety. Some say ninety five percent need a tenotomy. So, but. There are cases where there are people who have very flexible feet. And if you can achieve that flexibility without the dorsiflexion, without it, then that makes sense. But yeah, that does. So you didn't ever have the tenotomy then? No. no. And so when you were done, when he was done bracing at four, how has it been since then? Have there been any issues, any concerns that you guys have had? Or has it just been smooth sailing it's been pretty and we see dr kevin once a year we used to okay. see once a year till he was 10 but yeah, i i think yeah no then he said to, there's no need to visit him we saw it, uh, any issues but he's been into sports quite a bit you know okay what sports what sports does he play do you mind i play um cricket i play tennis okay i play table tennis okay so you're active uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> you are. You're an active kid. Do you guys like do? Did you guys do any stretching, like any physical therapy, or was it just the bracing? Just the bracing. Yeah, yeah. we didn't do anything on our own. Yeah. Yeah. But it's all been. How old are you now, Vidant? Eleven years old. Eleven. <laughs> so now you don't even have to see Dr. Kevin anymore. No, only in the <laughs> Only when you're only when you're interviewing him for your uh, for your club foot advocacy, right? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, what would you guys say? What do you think has been the most challenging part of the club foot treatment for you guys? I think we were lucky to get good treatment, but Mm -hmm. the challenging part, I would say, is you know, um, trying to explain to people because Mm. I mean, in Indonesia, you. I mean, I didn't see anybody else with that case. And practically, I think it, it that time was like, you know, sort of social stigma. We have these funny looking shoes mm-hmm. on a child with a rod in between. Then mm-hmm. you have a lot of explanation to do. So mm-hmm. when people actually came, we used to take out the rod. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it was, um, it was non-compliance, but we were willing to go at that length to take it off while people were there so that it doesn't look like too bad. Because otherwise the boots look pretty normal, right? Yeah, true. Yeah, they kind of look like so, normal shoes. Exactly. So actually, even the closest the family had no clue what was happening. You know, yeah. what, what what treatment he was undergoing. Yeah. And and when he came out with his clubfoot story, they were pretty much shocked. Wow. Even the close family. Wow. Because it was probably my husband, me, and my side of the family because my mom and my brother were there when he was born. Right. Right. But right, just had I some idea about you know he used to wear those funny looking shoes sometimes, and <laughs> and and yeah. and they I don't think were fully clued in. But uh, when we came out with the story, that's when they actually learned. Wow. In fact, wow. that still exists even in a more advanced society like Singapore. 
Um, yeah. Because when we were doing the article, right, when the, mm-hmm. the newspaper was covering our fundraise and the trek, mm-hmm. they actually wanted to capture someone or uh, sort of catch someone in action, right? So they went to the doc- doctor, Dr. Kevin, and we want, they wanted to find patients who are undergoing treatment now so that they could mm-hmm. take some photos and videos and sort of publish that, right? Mm-hmm. And then I asked in many groups in Singapore. I'm, I'm part of some private club food groups. Yeah. Uh, some of the moms and dads wanted to be featured, right? Wow. So, uh, they still see it as not yeah and they see it as something yeah that probably will affect the child right in, in a sense yeah not socially acceptable mm, no yeah yeah, yeah. That's, that's, yeah that's well that makes what you guys are doing even more brave you know to be able uh, to even like, that yeah. brave earlier yeah, but yeah I it guess. took us like 10 years <laughs> only <laughs> yeah. hopefully that changes yeah it's like that's how change happens and how you share your story so the people who aren't who feel so isolated it's a big piece of why I do what I do is because if if no one shares how they what their story is then everyone else just continues to think that they're by themselves but I don't think it's easy on the parents at all especially when you know I mean you expect a newborn to be normal and then you have some explanation to do when the newborn has to be with such funny looking shoes with a rod in between. So, uh, I mean, think there's a lot of work to be done there. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a big difference between what I see globally and when I talk to other people about the global clubfoot experience versus the U.S. Um, while there's still a stigma here to a certain extent, I think people are a lot more willing to share and there's less of that... Um, it's more socially acceptable. That doesn't mean people don't say mean things to us when we have cast on our baby. Like, what did you do? Did you break your baby's legs? Right. But um, I think there seems to be a more willingness and acceptance of people talking about it than mm-hmm. when I've heard from other people who have been on the podcast. Yeah. 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 Cool. And the fact that people aren't aware, you need to do even more explanation. So well, I think that's a big part of it. Like when I was talking about when I, when I talked to Cheska at Miracle Feet, there's a, this big piece of like raising awareness because it's such a common birth defect. And this birth defect has like a proven method that's easy to, um, you know, if you are able to access the treatment, it's pretty straightforward. But um it's hard because if there's no awareness about it, because people aren't talking about their story, then it becomes, it makes it, it makes an even bigger hurdle. I think that the awareness of the clubfoot in the U.S. is not as big of a hurdle as it is globally, where it's like, okay, we need to be able to talk about clubfoot and spread awareness like what you guys are doing. So why don't you guys tell us a little bit about it? We've kind of talked about it a little bit, but tell us about the Clubfoot fundraiser you organized and kind of how you got the idea for it. Yeah, okay. Uh, so it was interesting. Uh, we had about eight shoes of, of Vedant, right? Eight brace shoes that we had sort of used during his treatment, right? The yeah. first four years of his life. Uh, we had, and, and Agya had stored it uh, quite safely and quite well, right? Uh-huh. So, I guess we were doing some cleanup of the house and we found all those eight shoes nicely packed. Right? Mm. And we said we have to do something about that, right? There's no mm. point just keeping it with us. He doesn't need them anyway. Mm. So, so what do we do with them, right? Um, so we were trying to reach out to MD Orthopedics. That's the one mm. we were ordering the shoes from, right? Uh-huh. Uh, in the US. 
there was sort of a way to do it but it was uh, maybe logistically a little complicated and with covid still going around uh-huh. right there's lots of issues in trying to send something to the us uh-huh. and then we weren't sure right where it would go so the idea we thought is why don't we donate it to someone in indonesia since we uh-huh. were living there anyway for five years uh, and it's close by to singapore right uh-huh. so then i was searching on who are the ngos that are in indonesia so that's uh-huh. how i came across miracle feet i didn't know about uh-huh. them earlier Mm. and i found their representative in indonesia i first connected with him on linkedin uh-huh. and he eventually then connected me back with their head office yeah right? so i spoke i had a call with about four of the senior members mm-hmm. they said yeah yeah we'll be happy to introduce you to uh, to uh, yeah. ngo in bali right mm-hmm. and you can sort of send the shoes over there mm-hmm. so that was that so that got settled that we could send the shoes over okay so that that sort of was one story then i was traveling to the us in march for a for a partner conference mm-hmm. right which happened to be in on the east coast and i was then stopping over in rally right mm-hmm. which is where my uncle stays my dad's younger brother mm-hmm. and i so happened that miracle feet headquarters also in rally right, right? that's yeah. a great opportunity just go and meet them right yeah so, so i had i remember we had a great coffee session with uh-huh. senior people and we just discussing ideas and stories right Mm-hmm. and then what uh, what can we do to sort of grow awareness right and then and what sort of ideas would they have so they mm-hmm. mentioned about this whole idea of fundraise that people do mm-hmm. right and, and then they told me at length about what are the platforms how do you do it what mm-hmm. should you do along with the fundraise and so on mm-hmm. so that sort of sparked the whole story right then anyway i have done a trek with vidan right mm-hmm. uh, in 2018 okay i know he was kind of um able to do treks uh, i have my own trekking groups so i've done about five treks i okay. myself had done kilimanjaro in 2018 okay right? so it's okay so i think it's time to take him there as well uh-huh. right so uh-huh. so that sort of said okay we'll do the trek we'll use it as a fundraise right uh-huh. and then then sort of use that uh, to grow awareness and everything so so that was the idea for the fundraise and then sort of what we did in parallel is set up our own platform so it's called yeah. happy F- right right Um, but FE80, okay. right? So that's sort of a community that we are trying to set up. Right? Okay. Set up a website, happyfeet.co, right? Okay. FE80 uh, feet. So, mm-hmm. so that, I mean, it has three objectives. One is obviously to grow awareness of clubfoot uh, amongst the community. Right. Mm-hmm. Second is sort of ensure that we can get uh, uh, finance, give financial support to those who are in need. Mm-hmm. And then third is sort of to impart life skills. Right. You mm-hmm. even if you have clubfoot and you can't get treated. that's fine it's not the end of the world right and mm-hmm. today's world you can stay at home and and then sort of have a good uh, good life and a good career right mhm that is about the life skills so that is the three ideas objectives we had mm. and that is sort of what we were trying to then do through the the whole fundraise program wow what an what an amazing story yeah it's sort of one lead one thing leading yeah. to another and yeah it's like you just started with trying to donate the brace and then it like yeah, snowballed into this um trek and creating your own community and spreading awareness and what an amazing thing yeah so i think some impetus is always needed like i said we had set up good night shoes back in 2012 right the right. idea of trying to do something like this mm. but frankly there was no miracle feet at that time it was too early right and, yes. and probably yeah. at the start of a or mid of a career so mm-hmm. time just flew by and focusing on him to get treated right, right? Well, yeah because you're in the middle of it you know and um, 
it's it's hard to do things when your child is in the middle of but you you want to and you think about it so you guys had the foresight and then it just seemed to all kind of come together for you right. so how was like how was it but how hard was it we didn't to, to climb Mount Kilimanjaro so at first I thought that it would be really difficult because like like at the start of something hard I have a block mindset like yeah. oh no I can't do this mm-hmm. but then as I got there it seemed like much easier than I expected so it was easier than you thought yeah but yeah. the last few days it was a bit tough especially the summit the yeah summit was really tough for me yeah how long did it take you uh, it took us six days to climb up uh, and only about eight hours to come to come back down yeah wow and how did you guys prepare for it what did you guys do uh, we went trekking in some natures of park here mm-hmm. like lots of times wearing our gear equipment what we're gonna wear for the trek like that yeah, what do you think was the hardest part? In preparing for the trek? Just in general, like in, in the trek itself. What was like the most difficult part of it? So it's like when you see the end of uh, like a wall, a uh, piece of ground, mm-hmm. then you reach the end and then you see one more, then one more it just keeps on going. So it's frustrating. So you you thought you were at the end. It's like you feel like you're at the end, but really you're not. You have more to do. You have to climb more and more. You were talking about you're sharing with us about about the first one third, the second, and the third. What is that? It's like as you go up, there are more and more, but the first one always blocks the second view of the second uh, Mm -hmm. rocks and stuff which you have to climb, and then there's one more. So it's like. I already said my expectation is the first one that I need to reach, and then there's is more. Seems tired in the mind. Yeah, and it's hard to. I could imagine trying to keep yourself going. It's interesting in the U, where I live, we have mountains, right? We have we live in the Rocky Mountains, and one of the things that's um, that people do is we have the the tallest peak is called um, Pikes Peak, and they will. And they'll do like a trek when they reach a certain age. It's like a coming of age sort of thing. Like, okay, now you're ready. Now you are like, not just physically prepared, but also like you're talking about mentally prepared to be able to go, okay, yes, this is, uh, I'm going to be able to push through some of this uh, ideas of, okay, it's almost done and the frustration and all that part. So it's a lot more just, mentally than it is physical too it's the combination of it both as I'm guessing and hearing from you yeah yeah was there any part of it that was really physically difficult do you feel like your club foot impacted your ability to do the trek at all no not at all I feel like normally the club foot ability it didn't affect me I don't didn't affect it do you think it affects any part of your day-to-day activities uh, not really. It's just that every single person comes asking, what is it? What is it? So then I have to tell everybody. Yeah. Now now that you've kind of put your story out there, <laughs> people want to know, right? Yeah. 
So what do you usually tell people when they ask you? Like, what is your response? If, if a kid comes up to you and asks you about it, what do you say? So I just say it's a condition which I used to have. It's treatable. Mm-hmm. And just because you have it doesn't mean that you can't do some stuff. Like, because I climbed a mountain. Yeah. And then That's I tell them about my fundraise and why I've done it to people who can't afford treatment. Like, yeah. yeah. Very inspirational. Yeah, I guess so. I I think so. What was the best part about the climb? What do you feel like was the most rewarding aspect of the climb itself? That I raised a lot of money. Like mm-hmm. I was finally happy to raise twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah. You know, one How of the things you were telling us, sorry, one of the things you were telling us just when we were leaving, boarding our flight from Singapore. Yeah. Papa, we've actually raised a lot of money. Right, yeah. and we told people you're going to climb. What if I can't make it to the top? That'll mm. be so disappointing. So I felt okay. <laughs> That's a very, uh, very mature question to ask. So yeah. I told him, don't take stress on that. You, you try your best and do what you can. That's right. Yeah, I think people were more. They were supporting you in your story, not whether or not you were able to make it to the top or not. Right, but you yeah. did, so you didn't have to worry about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. How many kids? So you guys said you raised twenty five thousand dollars. How many kids can get treatment who need it? Uh, Fifty kids. kids. It was that your guys' goal in mind? Was it the amount of kids or was it the actual amount of money? Okay, that I think that's another story. My husband started with the Vijay started with the fifty thousand target. Fifty thousand US dollars. I said that's impossible. It's the first time we're doing it. And uh, even if you tap like 10 times over your network, you won't reach it. I said, slash it to 50%. Let's yeah. try 25. Okay. So we said, and, and we also looked at the number of um, children um, mm-hmm. who could be treated. And the mm-hmm. best part is some people actually targeted, at least let me contribute, you know, so that I can treat one person, yeah. one child, enough to, you know, treat at least one child. So I think not only us, the donors also had that kind of, um calculation when they yeah um, when they did the funding yeah so. I, I think that's a really cool thing about miracle feet and the way that they do their fundraising is that it's not just about the number but also about the amount of kids you're able to treat and you feel like you're um once you yeah you're directly contributing and really making a substantial impact on a child's life in fact, that's how we came up with that 50,000. I said, let's treat 100 kids. Yeah. Right? So sort of, yeah. The 100 number is easy, right? So that's how we were, <laughs> yeah. that's what you were gunning for. <laughs> yeah. And but then, I I sensibly said, yeah, let's go for 25. It's already a big enough number. Yeah. Then your wife came in and was like, let's make this a little bit more sensible and realistic. Yeah. And then you guys can, and the nice thing is, there's lots of time left to do more if you want to, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It, it can be an ongoing thing. It doesn't have to have an end date in a certain point. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, it's an interesting, That that's another really nice part. They're always going to need um, more funds and more um, people like you guys who are willing to kind of go the extra mile to create awareness and fundraising for them. So I'm sure they were so appreciative of what you guys did. No, I think they helped immensely. I mean, like I said, it all sparked off from them, me meeting them in uh, in, in yeah. rally, right? So yeah. I said, that was great. And the amount of time they gave to us, 
mm. the amount of calls we've had with them uh, every week they've been supporting us right they've been tracking uh, all the donations coming in giving us the the details right so we have a view right um, of course many people click on different parts of the page of the fundraise page so sometimes it goes straight into their into their back engine without going through our campaign so really reconciling all of that Wow. Yeah. And, right. Uh, and then spreading it on social media itself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they've done a fantastic job. Yeah. Without them, I don't think we would have really been able to execute this. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. So, if people want to learn more about the fundraiser and what are you guys, what you guys are doing, where should they go? So we have. Uh, so the way we hosted this uh, fundraiser is on Miracle Feet. Okay. So they have created a landing page for us within their own website. Okay. Right. So there is a link that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so if people want, they could sort of go there, right? Read okay. the story. We have a story out there about uh, Vedant and um, similar to what we're sharing with you, right? How we sort of grew up and how these funds will be put to good use. Mm-hmm. Right? We talk about the Happy Feet community out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, so they can sort of feel free to contribute there. Uh, each child is about 500 US for treatment, right? So okay. um, people can feel free to, I mean, any amount is good enough. It doesn't have to be yeah. uh, one child in, in completion. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so people can feel free to sort of go there and, and then contribute. The funds will go straight to Miracle Feed. It's not coming to us in any way. Yeah. Right? So Miracle Feed gets added to their pool and then they deploy it to um, across the globe. Great. What about the newspaper articles and like the um, interview that we didn't did with his doctor, where can people find that information? Yeah, so the uh, the interview itself is on YouTube. Okay. Right? So they actually search for Dr. Kevin Lim, K-E-V-I-N-L-I-M, plus mm-hmm. Vedant. I think that that already will lead you straight to the to the to the interview. It's about a half an hour, 30 minutes of interview. Right. Mm-hmm. And the doctor is sharing uh, his experience and his knowledge of clubfoot. So okay. it's on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the newspaper article is uh, is, is so it's it's a newspaper and local newspaper in Singapore called okay. the Straits Times, S T R A I T S Straits Times. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, if they search for Straits Times plus Vedant Naidu, uh, they'll definitely find the article. It's it's a very nice infographic sort of article. Very um, it has multiple photographs and the whole story yeah. written in a very nice manner. Uh, and I and Vedant is reminding that his name is on Google. You write Vedan Naidu. I don't think there is there are many Vedan Naidus. Yeah. So all these articles will come up as the top search. Okay. Uh, his YouTube interview, the he's tried he's tried it in things, straight times and all of those. Yeah. So I think okay, if you just great. Google Vedan Naidu, you should be able to. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I will also put all that information for people as many of the links that I can get into the show notes so that people can yeah. access them directly through this. And probably also post um, links on social media for it so that people can look for that and then be able to click on those if they want to learn more about your guys' story and what you guys are doing. So, yeah, that's fantastic. Oh, I'm very thankful for you guys taking the time to meet with me today and to be guests on the podcast. I feel like um, your story is really inspirational and I am so proud of all the work that you've done to help spread awareness for Clubfoot. I just can't say enough how important it is for everybody. And 
you should be very proud of yourselves, not just for climbing a mountain, but also for the amount of kids that you guys have helped globally. So good work. Yeah, I think it's it's a start still, I would say, right? It's something yeah. that we want, to, we want to sort of keep this going. Mm-hmm. In, fact, in fact, we've been debating what the next thing we'll do, right? Yeah. So we're looking at, uh, we'll continue the trekking route. I think that's something that's interesting in any way. Yeah. So we're going to do Everest Base Camp in uh, April next year. Okay. So that's sort of part of the plan. Uh, okay. We probably will do the fundraise in a different way. We can't we can't always go back to the community and expect them to be donating all the time. So it has to be structured differently. Yeah, uh, right. So we'll sort of do a trek every year uh, and then try to see how we do fundraise in different ways. Uh, my brother-in-law is also going to, like I said, he's a doctor. Yeah. So he's coming back to Nepal and going to set up his own practice. So hopefully he will take up clubfoot as wow. well in some way in Nepal. Yeah. Nepal and India are big um, countries, right? So we do have a lot of cases. So we'll say, I sort of keep this going, build the community, right? And and run different events, uh, do what we can, right? Yeah. Uh, And then hope it'll snowball. (laughs) I really want to thank Vijay, Weedant, and Ajia for being guests on the podcast today. I really enjoyed hearing their personal story and appreciate how much they're doing to not only fundraise to help other kids with clubfoot who need it, but also just to raise awareness of the clubfoot experience. I'm so grateful that you guys were able to be on the podcast and be able to share your story with everybody, and I'm really thankful for it. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode helpful and enjoyed listening, please like, subscribe, and share with your family and friends. If you would like to contact me directly, you can do so through my website at maureenhoff.com or through my Instagram account at Clubfoot Chronicles Mom. Until next time.